morning. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. It's great to see you this morning. This is the hardest morning of the year, isn't it? To church on time. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, there is a Bible, a blue Bible near you, and you can follow along. You can find 1 Corinthians 12 on page 959 in one of those blue Bibles. Let me invite you to stand with me as we read God's Word. We, we stand. It's been the practice of the church for 2,000 years to stand when God's Word is being read. And part of the reason that we do that is it reminds us that though we're a new church, that we're uh, gathered here in Ladera Ranch in this small corner of the world, that we are a part of something much bigger than we can even fathom. That this morning, uh, today, around the globe, there are a billion Christians gathering to worship God and listening to His Word together. And so we stand not just with people in this room, people gathered throughout uh Oh, around the globe and throughout time to give our attention to God's word. So listen as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it, in any le- make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the, if, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? God, please uh, be with us as we think together about these words now, as we try to understand how, um, though we are different and diverse and have different backgrounds and opinions and experiences and preferences, that you are actually at work uh, to, to, that we are one in Christ and that you are at work through us to serve others. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated, please. So, what's your story? What have you uh, done in life? Where have you been? Who do you know? What do you hope for? What do you long for? What do you hope the future holds? My guess is that as we answer that question, what is your story, that we're really talking about two things. We're talking about the relationships that we have built, the communities that we've been a part of, the people that we know. It's the first thing we're talking about, relationships. And the second thing we're talking about is the things that we've done, the experiences that we've had. Daniel's story really was, was a story of that, right? It was a story of people he, he has met, people who have had an influence in his life, and the opportunities that he has had to serve, to be served and to serve. Increasingly, I think, in our time, as we think about the things that we spend our time on, whether we're thinking about work or um, you know, our kids or, or you know, what we're going to do even with our free time, increasingly, uh, it's common for us to think about, um, when we're thinking about how we spend our time, we want to do things, we want to be involved in things, in activities that make a difference in our world. When we think about our jobs, you know, um, uh, maybe at least stereotypically, like the uh, just the blatant greed of the 80s is, is less fashionable. And there's this desire, yet yeah, to, uh, to make a living, but also to, to contribute, to do something good in the world, to make a difference. Um, and there's good reason for that, isn't there? Because there are no shortage of problems in the world that we live in. I think the proliferation of um, technology, media, social media in our lifetimes one of the effects of the increase of technology uh, is that we are just increasingly aware of the problems that we face in our world. I mean, just to scratch the surface, um, uh, you know, war ravaging Syria and much of the Middle East with no apparent end in sight. Uh, we have in North Korea, um, I mean, maybe a crazy man, a a brutal dictator who's starving his people and assassinating his own family members, all while accumulating wealth and investing incredible amounts of money to live a life of comfort and to build intercontinental ballistic missiles. I mean, (laughs) even saying that in one sentence was pretty pretty, uh, (laughs) unbelievable. Um, You know... uh, so much more we could say internationally. In the US, there's massive social unrest, domestic abuse, sex trafficking, um, 
the list of problems goes on and on. In our own neighborhoods, we have problems, and, 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 and social media makes it um, easier to be aware of the vulnerabilities that we face, even in our own neighborhoods, where we are you know, fearful maybe for our own safety, maybe for the safety of our children, even in places like South Orange County. We have problems, and we are all too well aware of our problems. And we want to help, and we want to make a difference, and we want, to, we want to spend our time, we want to do things in our lives that make a difference in the world around us. Um, you know, every, every college graduate now graduates college with this desire not just to make a living, but to change the world, to make a difference, to have an impact um, in, the, in the lives of the people around us. We've got problems, and we want to make a difference in the world. And I've got good news. And the good news is that God is not happy about the brokenness in our world. The opening chapter of the Bible, God creates the heavens and the earth, and there's this refrain over and over that says, uh, God, God created and it was good, and God saw all that he had made and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and then he gets to the end and it's very good. And the, the world that God created is very good. And then sin enters into the world, and God is not happy about the brokenness in the world. And yet he is working, he is at work, he comes into the world in order to push back the brokenness. At Christmas time we sing, joy to the world, because the Lord has come. Um, it says, uh, we sing at Christmas, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found, God is going to make his blessings flow. For the last 10 or 15 years, it has become increasingly fashionable to say, I want to make a difference in the world. I want my life to matter. I want to spend my time doing things that make the world a better place. And here is the good news. God launched that campaign 2,000 years ago. In some ways, we could look at God saying, well, that's great. Welcome to the party. Um, I've been doing this for a long time. And here's his strategy. God has been working for 2,000 plus years, really beyond the, you know, the, the, the advent of Jesus, to reverse the brokenness in the world. And here is his strategy. Are you ready for this? He is going to use you, and he is going to use me. God's strategy is to use the church to push back the brokenness in the world. God is gathering a people to himself, and he is reconciling us to himself, and then he is sending us out into his world to serve. It's crazy, right? <laughs> That's God's plan. We're in this series called What's Your Story? And um, what we're trying to do in this series is uh, what I want you to see is that when our story, when our li the story of our lives intersects with the story of God and who he is, and when they begin to line up and we're beginning to walk you know, uh, down the same road of the life story, our life story is is running parallel to God's story, that's when life begins to take on meaning and beauty and fullness. And we begin to really live the life that Jesus promised, the sort of life that Jesus promised. And so uh, what we're doing in this series is this. We're trying to learn together how to move beyond busy and fine by connecting with God, who is the source of life. And um, over the last several weeks, we've talked about how we do that. How do we connect with God? 
And uh, the, said there's a, there's a simple four-step plan that is throughout the Bible, and yet I think it's very clear that, that the first step in this plan, how do we connect with God, is make it a priority to be in church, to connect with God by plugging in and recharging on a regular basis. And then last week we talked about the second step, which is you've got to connect with other people in community because change always happens in relationship. And if you missed the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to go to the website and go back and listen to the podcast and, and catch up on those. But today we're talking about the third step. And the third step in connecting with God in order to move beyond busy and fine is you've got to serve. You've got to live for something beyond yourself. Um... If you, listen, if, you, if your goal in life is to be as miserable as possible, right, that's the goal. I just want to be, um, if you want to be miserable, discontent, if you want to feel dissatisfied and unattractive, all you have to, it's very simple, all you have to do is make your comfort and happiness the center, central goal of your life. If you say, I'm going to go all in on my comfort and happiness, I, it's the surefire guaranteed way to end up miserable. But if you want to move beyond busy and fine by connecting with God, then the third step in this plan is to serve, to live for something beyond yourself. Now, why? Why live for something beyond yourself? Why serve? Because that is God's plan. The church, the church, can you believe this? The church is the hope of the world. The church is God's plan to push back the brokenness in our world. So I want to talk about service today. And what I want you to see is this, that the unity of the church leads to service. Okay, this plan we talked about, go to church, connect with other people, and once we have done that, then as the church we go out into the world to serve. I'm not just making this stuff up, I promise. It's, it's, the, it's right here in this passage, it's in, it's in the Bible. Um, I promise, well, I'm going to show you, okay? So the first thing I want you to see in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 is the unity of the church. Uh, in Corinth, Corinth was this, this church that was uh, is just kind of notorious for having had all kinds of problems, all kinds of craziness um, going on in this church in Corinth. And one of the things that was happening there is that the Christians had begun to think of themselves as really highly, uh, you know, as really something. And um, they had begun to say, you know, God gives everybody gifts. But some gifts are more desirable than others, and the really cool ones, the people who have those are really, you know, they are really special. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and he reminds them of who they are. And the first thing he says about the unity of the church is remember who you are and remember where you came from. In, uh, in verse 2 he says, you know, <laughs> you know who you are. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute, or to mute idols, however you were led. Okay, he's saying, you used, don't you remember, why do you think you're, so, like, don't you remember where you came from? You used to pray to little statues. They couldn't do anything for you. Remember that that's who you were. And if you are something different now, it's not because you've done anything special. It's a gift. It's God's grace to you. So remember who you were. I heard this story about uh, Beyonce. How's that for a transition? <laughs> uh, this must have, like, this Beyonce is a teenager, and uh, so um, 
Beyonce was in a record store, you remember what those were? And uh, her mom, this must have been back in like the Destiny's Child days, because her mom had driven her to the record store. And um, Beyonce is in the record store, and over the radio in the record store, one of her songs comes on the radio. And so she's flipping through the CDs or records, whatever, and she hears her song come on, she starts singing along, and then she sees on the other side of the store these cute boys, and they're looking at her, singing along with her song on the radio, and Beyonce kind of sees them seeing her, and begins to kind of put the whole thing, like this is kind of a cool moment, right? She's really getting into it, and she says, her mom comes up to her out of nowhere and slapped her. <laughs> and Beyonce said, and I'm glad she did because she reminded me where I came from. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember who you are. Don't get too excited about yourself because whatever you have is a gift. What did you do to earn a gift? Nothing. It was just simply given to you. It's God's grace to you. That's who you are, so be grateful for it. He also goes on to say that you belong to each other. Um, the nature of the unity of the church is that we belong to one another. In, in verse 13 he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And he goes you know, over and over again, he talks about we are, we are one. We are one. In the church in Corinth, they had started to think, I mentioned this, that, that some like really cool gifts, really spectacular gifts were better than the others. And Paul says, you're all part of the same body, and the gifts of the Spirit are, are not for your benefit. They are for the good of the entire body. Uh, a bo you know, um, it's pretty common for us now to talk about um, a, a group of people as a body. Um, Paul actually coins that phrase, and to talk about membership in a body, like we might be the members of a country club or something like that. Paul is actually, this is the point where he's coining the phrase, uh, or using the word member and body in a unique way. It's never, it never was used in this way um, before Paul uses the word member and body in this way here. But he's saying that the church is a body, you're all one thing, and you're made up of many parts, many members. Um, and, you know, the body, this is obvious, right? The body has, you know, uh, ears, the body has eyes, the body has a mouth. Um, really, you know, visible, obvious parts that we think are necessary. But the body also has, like, armpits and elbows and, um, you know, the spleen, um, the liver, the body, you know, uh, the body has these parts that we, uh, you know, maybe are, are a little bit more sensitive to, to uh, discuss. Uh, and you need all of them, right? Um, a body made up of all eyes is pretty weird. Um, you know, you might say, well, I'm the brain. I'm the, I'm the brains behind this operation, and so I'm very important, but have you ever walked into a room and just seen a brain sitting there, like in a chair, drinking a Diet Coke? Like, I hate it when that happens. It's just like, <laughs> a brain sitting in a room by itself doesn't do a lot of good, right? It's gross, and it's dead. Um, we might think, on the other hand, you know, my gifting is um, I like helping out behind the scenes. Uh, I don't really like being noticed. I'm not that important. Anybody can do. Uh, anybody could fill my spot. Anybody could fill my shoes. My gifts aren't that important. Or, or maybe I wish I had, you know, more exciting gifts. Um, I wish I had the, uh, the visible gifts. Um, have you ever walked into a room and there's just a person there who's like teaching, just talking? 
um, to nobody. <laughs> like it doesn't really do a lot of good to have the gift of teaching uh, or, or you know, in the visible gifts if there is nobody else involved in the process. Just like the mouth all by itself talking in a room to nobody does absolutely no good to, for anybody. It's when all the members of the body start working together that things begin to happen. We need you, and you need us. That's what Paul is saying. We've got to work together. We've got to look out for one another. We've got to be sensitive to each other. We've got to honor people who are different than us. God is bringing our unique gifts and talents and experiences and opinions together in order to form a body. Um... That means, I mean, there's so many things that that could mean, but one of the things that means is we've got to be really careful about the way that we express our opinions and preferences. We've got to be really careful about the things that we say on Facebook, the way that we, you know, say whatever you want, right? Oh, he was going to, you've got to be very careful about articulating your opinion in a way that doesn't imply that your opinion is God's opinion, okay? Um, sure, express your opinion, but acknowledge that it's your opinion. You know, um, Jesus built his band of disciples out of people with radically different social and political backgrounds. Um, Jesus had as disciples Simon the Zealot. You know, the words, what's a zealot? Well, a zealot was somebody who was in favor of armed insurrection. They were Jews who were so sick of the Romans that they were ready to fight at a moment's notice. Also, one of Jesus' followers is Matthew the tax collector, like a corrupt bureaucratic IRS official, right? And they're both on you know, Jesus in Jesus' inner circle, right? These two men who are, uh, it's like, you know, the most lazy, corrupt IRS official and the most radical tea partier you've ever heard together um, in the church. Can you believe it? Or, um, I mean, think about Luke, not one of the 12... Um, uh, disciples of Jesus, but uh, the author of the book of Luke and, um, and the book of Acts, he was a physician, he was a doctor, a very well-educated man, and you've got Peter, who's a fisherman, and yet both incredibly influential uh, figures in the life of the early church. God is bringing people of radically different backgrounds together to build the body. I heard a story about... Um, a man and a woman serving in the nursery in a church. And uh, the man was Japanese. He worked for the, in the automotive industry, and his work had brought him to the United States and become a Christian. And he was working in the nursery one Sunday morning, and a woman walks in to work with the babies in the nursery. And she sees this Japanese man, and she is about to turn around and leave because her brother was killed in Pearl Harbor, and she hates Japanese people. But there's nobody there to take care of the babies. <laughs> and they need two people in the nursery. And this woman wants to leave, and she's stuck. And for an hour and 15 minutes, she's sitting there taking care of the, the babies in the nursery, going, I hate him, God. And God says, I don't. I love him. He is my child. And she says, but his people have done awful things. And God, I know. I know, but so have your people. And this woman sits there in the nursery and wrestles with God. She's forced because she can't leave. That's the beauty of the church, at least in the nursery. You just can't leave. And 75 minutes later, that man was her brother. 
not somebody who killed her brother. That man is her brother. Our world does not know how to get along with people that we don't like. Uh, I mean, it's just as simple as that, and the internet has made that all the more clear. And that's why we need the church, because God is putting all these people who aren't like each other together, and he's saying, you are one body, and you need to show the world how to do this. I remember getting an email from a, uh, a student when I was in campus ministry. She's, <laughs> it was really conspiratorial. It was like she had looked, she, had, she sent me this email and said, I can't be a part of your group anymore because I've done all this like research about what you really believe. I'm like, you could have just come and talked to me about it. She said, I found out what you really believe and I don't agree with you. And I wrote her back this email and said, well, you know, I'm sorry and thanks for letting me know. But I said, I said in there, I said, it sounds like you're not willing to be in community with people that you disagree with. I said, I wrote and ran it by a friend before I sent it. I'm like, is this too strong? He's like, that is the craziest sentence I've ever heard. That in the name of tolerance and openness, that we are not willing to be in community with people that we don't actually agree with on everything. Paul is saying, we are in this together. He says, you are one body. He doesn't say, work really hard to be one. He doesn't say, if you do things right, you will become one. He says, you are. You are. We are one. Remember who you are. Remember what has been done for you. In the closing days of the Civil War, uh, there was a fire that destroyed Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, firefighters from New York City uh, raised money to uh, purchase what would have been, you know, a fire truck, a, a, a you know, a horse-drawn carriage for the fire department, um, you know, a firefighters in the north raised this money, sent it to South Columbia, South Carolina. It was on a barge which sank off the uh, the, with the outer banks, and uh, so they raised the money again and and sent this gift again. I know my wife is cringing because I told this story before, but what I didn't tell you is the second part. <clears throat> when, uh, when that firefighting equipment arrived in Columbia, South Carolina, a former Confederate soldier, upon receiving this gift, said he hoped that South Carolina would never forget. And he said, should misfortune ever befall New York City, he hoped that the residents of South Carolina would be prepared to respond. And so do you know what happened on September 12th, 2001? An elementary school teacher in Columbia, South Carolina, named Nancy Turner, remembered that 134 years earlier, New York City uh, responded to South Carolina's hour of need. And um, realizing that I think 350 firefighters had been killed uh, on September 11th, she began a campaign to raise money for the New York City Fire Department. And uh, kids brought in their pennies to school. And they began to mobilize um, volunteers. And they went to uh, football games at the University of South Carolina with buckets and worked the crowds and, and raised uh, over half a million dollars to buy a hook and ladder truck uh, or a ladder truck for um, a fire station in New York City. Over a half a million dollars was raised now, um, you have to ask, wouldn't it have been easier if they had just found one or two donors who had written a couple big checks and just taken care of it? 
you know, it would have been a lot more efficient that way, right? But if you asked Nancy Turner, she would say, no, not at all, because it's that we did it together. That we all chipped in and we all made a difference because we all had something to be thankful for. And we were all able um, to say thank you. We serve because we remember who we are and we remember who we were because we have been the recipient of the grace of another. And so we serve to say thank you. The unity of the church, but secondly, the gifts of the church to serve. The Bible says, or the Bible teaches, is that at the moment that you believe, at the moment you put your trust in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit gives you a gift, an ability, a, a skill. He equips you with um, a gift that is meant to be used to serve other people. And there's really three or five places in the Bible that talk about the different gifts of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. Um, and none of them is necessarily exhaustive, but here, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, three places that um, the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And um, he, he talks about things like service and teaching and encouragement and giving and leadership and mercy and faith and wisdom. Um, I, I don't think any of these lists are, are exhaustive necessarily. Um, but I think we could categorize them, broadly speaking, into three categories. That, um, firstly, there are prophetic gifts. And the prophetic gifts are the, are the gifts of bringing God to people. So it's, it's teaching, it's explaining the Bible, it's evangelism, explaining the Bible to people who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, it's counseling. Um, and some of you have prophetic gifts. Uh, there are also priestly gifts. Priestly gifts are the gifts um, that enable you to bring people to God. Um, mercy, compassion, hospitality, encouragement. You come alongside people and you, you help them to feel loved and in that way you help them to feel the love of God himself. And some of you have pre priestly gifts. I don't. <laughs> and some of us <laughs> have kingly gifts leadership and vision and setting direction and mobilizing people to accomplish what God has called us to do. Some of us are just really passionate about getting things done and they're all important and God has given every Christian believer a gift. He's given everyone a gift. Um, nobody, nobody sits on the bench in the church. Um, the church the church is a community in which the presence and power of God is made manifest through the gifts that he has liberally given his people. God has given his people, every one of us, gifts, and they are for the good of everyone. They're for the common good. Everyone has a gift. Um, everyone has a gift, but nobody has all the gifts. That's why we need each other. I, I want to be careful on how I say this. This could come across the wrong way, but... Um, as, the, as your pastor, as the pastor of Resurrection OC, it's not my job to do everything. That's actually Jason's job. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, Ephesians 4 said that God gave pastors to the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Um, I don't have nearly, I don't have hardly any gifts, and my job is to help you to use your gift to serve. That's what God has called me to do. 
in an individualistic culture where we are so obsessed with ourselves and what we want, to have a community that chooses to put the needs of others ahead of themselves is stunningly beautiful. Okay, let's get practical. What can I do? How do I discover my gifts? Uh, what, need, what, what, what needs are there, right? How, um, okay, how do I discover my gifts? Well, there, I think there's three questions to ask. Uh, first is, what are you good at? Um, God, you know, what, what are your abilities? What are your skills? What are your talents? Um, God has gifted you um, to do certain things, which means you're good at them. What are you good at? Um, secondly, what are you passionate about? You know, what, what are you excited about? What, what do you, what do you um, I mean, one way to think about that is if there's something that frustrates you, God might actually be calling you into an area of service because you've noticed a need that's not being met. What are you passionate about? And then thirdly, what opportunities do you have? Um, it, it, you know, you might have the, uh, the, the skills and the passion to do something that's not particularly needed in the, in the life situation that you're in at the moment. Um, and there's no opportunity to use that gift. Um, if, if you're short on ideas, go with the opportunity. Um, start with wh- what needs are there. Um, give something a try. If you don't like it, pass it to train somebody else to, um, to replace you and, and hand it off to somebody else. It's the job of the church to encourage people when you see them using their gifts. I think it can be easy to think about, well, what are my gifts and how do I understand my gifts? But I think one of the critical roles of the church is to recognize the giftedness in other people and to affirm that and call that out in them. I, I think I talked last week and the week before about you know, my youth pastor when I was a high school student saying, I think I see something in you. And I think God is actually calling you to be a pastor. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Because I had wondered if that was the case, and you said it out loud, and now I actually have to think about it. Um, but that began a years-long journey in my life. But it started with really somebody else being able to look at me and say, I think I see God at work in you. Um, I have been incredibly blessed. There's a, there's a family, um, parents... Their two kids and their spouses, one of whom is one of my good friends, in the first church where I was a pastor out of seminary, who've just been such an encouragement to me in, in the ten years that I've been a pastor. And I, I don't, um, I don't talk to Tom Leslie once where he doesn't say, "I prayed for you today." I mean, I haven't seen him in like eight months. No, probably even more than that. Probably two years. I haven't seen him, and yet every time I see him, he says, "I prayed for you today." I mean, that's just, that's incredible. That's encouraging. Um, one of the coolest things in the last what, 52 weeks has been seeing uh, certain people in this church just come alive as they begin to use their gifts. Um, I'm going to put a few people on the spot. Um, to see uh, Kim Peck just at kids camp last summer just go to work on preparing crafts so that everything is set up so kids can come and have a fun time and learn about Jesus at VBS. Incredible. Um, to see, I you know, poked fun at Jason earlier, but like, to see Jason just begin, like every week there's like a new skill Jason picks up that he didn't know he had. Um, just like, wow, uh, incredible. Uh, to see Ashley Peters 
at uh, Parents Night Out two weeks ago, just uh, figure out how to run this program in an incredible way. I mean, it was just such a, like, so much fun to see you thrive doing that. It's just, I could go on and on, but those are the people I thought wouldn't be super uncomfortable about being on the spot. Um, it's such an amazing privilege to see um, you begin to see the way that God has equipped you and begin to live into those roles and really flourish and thrive in them. We have to encourage each other as we see them using their gifts. We would love to help you discover your gifts and to connect you with a place to serve. This is one of the things we're trying to do at our welcome lunch. Um, help people identify their giftedness. I, we, I, we have another welcome lunch coming up. It's, I don't know when it is, but um, <laughs> you could come to the next one. Um, we have all kinds of needs as a church. Um, sometimes, uh, I, I think sometimes one of the things we can do is just, we, uh, we see a need and we just jump in because it just needs to be done. Um, and maybe it's not our particular area of passion or giftedness, but it's something that needs to get done, and so we're willing to serve. Um, you know, we, we have a ton of opportunities. How, how, do I, how can I serve, practically speaking? Let me say two things about ways that you can serve here at Resurrection OC. Um, and, and the first is that really every Sunday we need about 25 volunteers just to, like, make this thing work. Um, we need like four, four guys to help set up. We need four guys to help tear down. We need a band. We need four hosts to get here and say, you know, welcome to people as they come in. Uh, we need two tech guys in the back. Uh, we need people to teach Sunday school. We need people to check in uh, kids for Sunday school. Uh, even in a small church, we need like 25 people approximately every Sunday. There's tons of opportunities, and some people have just jumped in and started serving just because there's a need, and it's not necessarily something that they're super passionate about, maybe, but, um, but they're willing, and that's great. But the other thing I want to say uh, about serving is this, that one of the reasons that we want to continue to grow is not just because it makes us feel good about ourselves if we're a big church, or a bigger church, although it probably would. <laughs> um, <laughs> If I'm perfectly honest, um, I shouldn't have said that. Scratch that from the record. My own insecurities are coming out. Um, if, like, let's just say theoretically, we were to double in size next week, it wouldn't take 50 volunteers on Sunday morning. It might take like 30, and that means we would have uh, many more available opportunities to serve beyond the walls of our church. Um, and I, I think one of the realities is that a small church is always just kind of fighting to survive. And we really want to be a church that's a blessing to this community and can give away resources and, uh, and be involved in serving the people who need help and planting more churches and starting campus ministries at colleges. Um, and, and, and the more, the, you know, being a medium-sized church gives us more opportunity to do those things. Uh, there are so many opportunities to serve our neighbors, even here in South Orange County, that one of the things that um, we regularly have to talk about is not what can we do, what needs are there, it's, it's more um, can we actually pull this off. Uh, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew, we don't want to be doing so much that we're like just 
exasperating you because every week we've got some new opportunity that we're trying to get people on board with. Um, there's so much that we could do uh, if we were a little bit bigger. And so let me say this, one of the best ways to serve is to bring a friend to church. Uh, it'll help us grow, but it'll also help increase your investment in what's going on here. Because when you come to church, you know, the first and second week, you might be like, oh, there should maybe be a sign there that would make things more clear. And then the third week, you know where to go, right? And so you don't think about it anymore. Um, but what's going to happen if you bring a friend to church is you're going to suddenly be acutely aware of how uncomfortable it is to walk into a room of 50 people who know each other and, you, and your one friend doesn't know anybody and nobody talks to them, right? And so all of a sudden, that's, you're going to have this new set of eyes, this new perspective on, uh, okay, next week I'm going to get here a little bit earlier and say hi to people that I don't recognize. Or uh, maybe we do need to change some signs and I'm going, to I'm going to figure out how to make that happen just to make things clearer. You'll help us see things that we're not doing well, and then you'll be able to help us serve. Do you want to change the world? I want to invite you to jump on board with God's plan to save the world. He wants to use you. Can you believe it? He, that's God's plan. I mean, if it was up to me, I would have come up with a much more sophisticated plan that I'm going to get a church... And we're just going to be at church, and we're going to serve people in everyday, ordinary, somewhat boring but faithful ways. But that's God's plan. That's the reason that God came into the world. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, at the center of human history stands the cross and resurrection of Jesus. The center of human history stands the act of the Almighty God coming and making himself low and humble and poor and vulnerable in order to serve us. In order to serve us. The one being who, you know, um, in terms of his rights, would never be obligated to serve anyone. Demonstrates his love in the most humbling act of service ever. Um, I remember in college I, I took this class on leadership and uh, I think that like the whole concept of servant leadership was just kind of becoming to be trendy um, and they're talking about you know leaders are people who serve and I really thought what they were saying is something like leaders are people who get things done and know how to get things done but the best way to do it is to make it look like you're a servant <laughs> That's actually manipulation, it turns out. Um, that didn't occur to me until like a couple years ago. <laughs> um, one of the things that God has taught me is that true greatness is found in serving others. Um, you know, uh, someone who is wealthy, who is capable, who is influential, using that influence and, 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 and wealth and uh, ability not to... Um, you know, advance their own interests, but to uh, come alongside somebody who needs help. Um, there's so many examples of that in our world. I mean, why do you think Mother Teresa became um, so influential? And what do you think about the thousands of other Mother Teresas who never uh, got into the spotlight of the media, right? Mother Teresa became Mother Teresa because she went to serve people who no one else would, would be, was willing to serve. 
That's true greatness, using what resources you have for the good of others. We, we recognize it when we see it in someone else. We love it when we see um, you know, a great woman, a great man humble themselves. And yet the idea of doing it ourselves is so, so terrifying. And that's why the gospel really is the key to becoming servants. Because the gospel comes and says to us that the God of the universe, the one who is full of power and glory and beauty and majesty, humbled himself to serve you, to heal you, to, um, to bring you into relationship with himself and to secure your future. And because Jesus has done all that for you, you can stop worrying about yourself and you can move out in service to other people. I want to invite you to jump on board. I want to invite you to dive into the story of what God is doing in the world. He is gathering a people to himself, and he is sending us out into the world as his hands and his feet to serve those who don't yet know him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these words. Thank you that you are working in us, that you have made us one in Jesus. And thank you, God, that you actually uh, use us to accomplish your purposes in this world. God, it seems like you, sh- you could um, accomplish what you want to do so much more effectively, so much quicker. And yet, God, you have come, you have honored us with your time, you have served us. And I pray that your example and your love and your humility would change us into the kind of people who don't have to worry about ourselves and then therefore move towards others in service. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.